Welcome to Madcasters. You have just tuned in to the difference makers of a new generation. If you're looking for that disciplined effort to change your life, or the inspiration to make a difference in your communities and the world, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad. going on everyone it's your host brian st louis bsl and i am so excited to introduce to you guys once again our next episode of madcasters and with us today we have a very special guest i must say this woman if you look at the definition of accomplishment i'm pretty sure you're going to see her name it is the wonderful dr monique and she is here with us today and i'm so excited for her to be able to tell us more about her and and everything that she's able to accomplish and how she got to where she is today. And so, Monique, thank you very much. And tell us just a little bit more about yourself and um, and just what it took for you to be on this journey and to be here today. Hi. Um, yeah, so I'm Monique Balthazar. Thank you so much for having me. I'm actually really honored and flattered that you guys want to hear from me. Um, about me, uh, I probably am... So I would say that I'm a people pleaser. You want to know how I got to where I am right now? It's because I have I am a recovering people pleaser. Whoa. And um, so we're going straight into this then. I mean, there you go. Do you want to? I like there you go. I like it. <laughs> All I right. like it. So um, for those of you guys who don't know, I think what Brian might be referring to is I am overeducated in a way. Um, mm. So I have two bachelor's degrees, a master's degree, a post-master's certificate, and two doctorate degrees. Um, and I earned all of those. I was 28 when I finished school. Um, wow. and, and I think that on the outside looking in, it's like phenomenal. Like you have, you know, reached the pinnacle of success and you have done all of these things, but I was actually really, really unhappy. Mm. Um, a lot of, a lot of what I did in school was at the behest of other people. And in, I think in a way to try to earn the approval and the, I guess, for lack of a more eloquent way of saying it, the love of the appreciation of the people that I love and admire. So whenever um, somebody made a recommendation like, hey, instead of getting one doctorate degree, you should do two at the same time. I was like, really? Okay, why not? Um, mm. And um, I wasn't taking good care of myself at all. I was not in a good headspace. Um, so by the time I I graduated from school, I moved to rural Minnesota to work on an Indian reservation. I'm a nurse practitioner. Um, the bulk of my degrees are in nursing. I have one degree in French, but the rest of my degrees are in nursing. So I, I moved to rural Minnesota to work on a reservation. And I think just because I was in such a rural, slow moving place, and it was the first time since high school that I wasn't working and going to school simultaneously. It was like the first time in my since high school that I only had one responsibility at a time. Oh wow. I it was that was the first time that I was ever quiet enough or slowed mm. down enough to even listen to myself and like hear myself. Um and how old were you at this time again? I was twenty eight. I, I moved 28. so I moved okay. to 
yeah, I moved to Minnesota at 28. And um, I remember, cause we were in the middle of nowhere. So right. one of the things when I, I, I met some people who went to the Adventist church out there, the, the singular Adventist church in that area, which you know, if <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine, um, the, the population of the town that I was living in was, I want to say it was either five or 8,000. This is really, really small. Wow. So um, we, when I, yeah, so I met some people from church and I remember they were just like, oh, so what are your hobbies? Because when winter comes in Minnesota, you're going to need some hobbies to get yeah, you through. And I was sure, like, yeah. I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, like, what are hobbies? I don't know what those are. Like, I don't know what makes me happy. All I've been doing is earning degrees for the last decade. So I don't know. So um, that was actually like in trying to figure out what I actually wanted for myself and what I actually liked for myself was when I got into fitness. So I started, I started doing CrossFit and then maybe four or six months after I started CrossFit, I started doing yoga and I've been doing both of those things since that time. So that was 2014, 2015. And so I've been doing CrossFit and yoga since then. And fitness is just a huge part of who I am Mm. now and something that I do to just take care of myself. You're into fitness too. I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've gotten serious into fitness around 2013 and I think it just pretty much revolutionized my life, right? Um, helped me in multiple different facets, not just with my body, but with my mind, emotion, and even my understanding of, of my spirituality too. So yeah, for sure. It was, it was a big, um, big step for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What got you into fitness? What was your, well, I got fat. <laughs> <laughs> I got <laughs> I got fat but then also I never forget this one I was walking up the staircase at school and I started losing my breath and I was like no man I'm 20 I was like 23 at the time I was like there's no way there's no way I'm gonna allow this to be my life and I just from that moment I was like around November I didn't wait until January 1st I was like yo I, I'm I have a problem now so <laughs> I gotta make sure I take care of my life right now and Yes, it's been it's been like that ever since. But Monique, tell me, um, how do how were you able to to step away from this people pleasing uh, mode that, from from this mindset that you need for others to to love you or to under to for you to have that approve or have that exactly that approval in that sense? What what took you to the next level in that sense? So I am recovering, not recovered. So I'll tell okay. you that this, hey, is, I pre- yeah. this is this is likely going to be a lifelong journey for me. Mm-hmm. I think that, and and I think before I answer your question, I will say that I don't think that I'm alone in that, and I think that a lot of our conditioning um, in the church, and especially as women in the church, is around being pleasing to people. Right. There's, right. A, there's a lot of that conditioning there. I think. Um, really, really the turning point for me, um, was, uh, the beginning of 2018, I was living in Cleveland at that time, working at a community health center out there and, um, feeling really frustrated because things were changing with the administration. They were not being respectful to us, uh, providers in our own limits, um, in terms of being 
being able to giving us enough time to do our jobs well. And I would have, I had multiple conversations mm. with the CEO and just saying like, I understand that you want me to see more people, but in order for me to do justice to the people I'm seeing, I need a certain amount of time with each person that I see, which means that you can't give me 40 people to see in a day because I'm not going to be able to do my job right. well if you do that. So just right. struggling a lot there. Um, I, I was in a position at that job where they were wanting to promote me to an administrative level. They wanted me to um, be assistant clinical director or like medical director mm-hmm. um, of the of the clinic. And I um, was, I was just feeling like I do. I mean, at that, at that point in the clinic, I was uh, helping to co-lead a substance use clinic. I was met. I had a lot of students that I was, pre, uh, that I was uh, precepting. I also, um, they gave me a number of all the new employees who came in. I was training all of the new employees who came in. I was just, I had all of these responsibilities and, right. um, Every time they gave me something to do, it would they would be like, yeah. I mean, I would get awarded all the. T- I would get. It was like you have. I I uh, got awarded for seeing the most number of patients of all of the other clinicians in in our clinic. Um, I was always awarded and um, praised for doing such a good job and doing, but none of that ever translated to me getting what I needed. So it felt like that's very interesting. They would give me they would give me another task and I would rise to the challenge and do that task and complete that task well. And so they would be like, you did such a good job. Let's give you another responsibility. And I would take that on. But when I turned around and said, listen, I need time to Mm -hmm. be able to get paperwork done or I need, you know, I need a, a, a block of protected time to do the other things my job requires of me. When the response was no. It was one of it was a mo- it was uh, an I, one of those moments where I recognized that uh, my administrators are doing what's in their best interest, mm-hmm. and I'm doing what's in their best interest, and nobody is doing what's in mine. Mercy. And, and so what? And I it was just one of those moments where I was like, you know, at the end of the day, whose fault is that? It's my own because I'm my responsibility. Right. They are they're doing what they need to 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 take care of themselves and. And I'm the one who is neglecting my own self. And that can't be, like, I can't be mad at them for not taking care of me. It needs to be me who's taking care of me. And so I think um, that was kind of the turning point where I was just like, if I feel overwhelmed, I need to stop saying yes to everything that they ask me to do. And if they get upset, then they can manage their feelings and I'm going to manage mine. Like, I can't, it can't be my job to, because it doesn't matter how much you like me, that doesn't translate to me getting what I need from you or it doesn't, it doesn't like all of these awards. It's like, here's a $50 gift card. Cause you did all of these great things. But like, at the end of the day, I've, I've asked you like, literally, I was just like, if you could give me four hours a week, just so I can make sure my paperwork gets done. Um, that's all I wanted. And for that to have been received as me asking for too much. Meanwhile, I am training every single new employee and I'm running all of these programs for you and I'm doing all of these things. Um, and then they're like, well, we want to promote you to leadership. And I'm like, well, does that mean you're just going to give me more work and still I'm not going to get what I need because I don't right. want that. <laughs> right. Zero interest in that. So, um, so yeah, I, I ultimately ended up making the decision to apply for a fellowship. So I have 
two doctorate degrees in nursing. Um, mm-hmm. And instead of going down the route of academia, when I graduated with my doctorate degrees, I went into clinical practice. And so um, when all of this started happening with work and me just kind of realizing that um, it is a bottomless pit and it doesn't matter how much I give, they're just going to want more. I, I made the decision that I wanted to transition back to academia. Um, and so part of that required doing what's called a postdoctoral fellowship. So I applied, I only applied to one university. I applied to Emory. That was the only school I applied for. I was like, it is really, really competitive. And if I don't get it, then I, I guess that will be my indicator that I don't need to make this transition. Right. Um, but there was one slot and five applicants and they gave it to me. So I picked up and moved to Atlanta and made a commitment to myself that moving forward, um, I am going to respect everybody enough to be able to manage their own feelings. And I'm going to take care of my feelings and myself, and we're all going to take care of ourselves. And as long as I make sure I'm okay, then everything else can just flow naturally from there. So, um, yeah. So since then I, it has been my mission to, prioritize my needs. And in doing that, I'm a much happier person. I'm actually a much more productive person. And um, I also have been giving myself permission to explore other things that are really um, interesting to me that didn't necessarily fit the mold of what I was expected to do. So one of the things that I did was I got certified as a yoga teacher, um, a yoga instructor, and I, I love it. I teach yoga one hour a week, which is mm-hmm. the absolute max that I can even <laughs> I can right. even tolerate right now because of, I have so many other responsibilities, but it feeds my spirit in a way that's really important to me. And so I continue to do it and I really enjoy it a lot. Um, and so that's, that's what I've just been intentional about building a life worth living for myself. And that means honoring the things that are important to me and honoring my needs when they arise and um sometimes the things that i need are in conflict with what other people want from me but we are all adults and i respect other people enough to be able to manage their own disappointment around that like you can be disappointed and you'll bounce back and it'll be okay i really i really like the mindset because uh typically a lot of people would say that you know what um in order for me to to move up in my position, like they're always looking to move up and, and they would take on the responsibilities while it also could mess up with their mental health and how they deal with their person, uh, with their mind and their emotions. But you, you decided, I mean, through all the certifications, all the, the doctorates and the programs, you said to yourself, my mental health is more important than even climbing up the ladder even more. And, I, and I'm willing to to take certain steps to make sure that that is a realization for my life. Yeah. So I will I will actually highlight that for you even further. So, yeah, please. Um, I have been a nurse practitioner since I was in my early 20s. So I have been making a. Um, not insignificant salary since I was young, I in coming to a fellowship. Um, I took, 
I think it was about a 60% pay cut. So not only did I, so not only, not only did I decide to decline a raise in a promotion, but I also took a job that paid less than I have ever been paid in my adulthood. So I, I, and I was just like, I did. And so it was, so when I was saying like, everybody's going to be able to manage their emotions, you're, you're Haitian. So you know what it's like to have Haitian parents. And so for me to have like, (laughs) made the announcement, like I'm quitting my job. I'm moving to a completely different state. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be making, I don't want to say the number because I don't want to insult any of our listeners. Cause I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, but there are people who are varying ends right, of the spectrum right. in terms of salary. But it, yeah, it's I I made more money as at my first year as a nurse after I graduated from undergrad than I made as my entire fellowship. So oh, that's even after goodness. I got a raise the, the second year of my fellowship. So the fellowship was two years. Yeah, mm. and and I was just like, you know what though, I have done all of the things for all of right. the people. I did not. I never wanted. I never wanted doctorate degrees. That was never mm. what I wanted. You, you want to know what I did? Listen, I showed up and somebody was like, you are the perfect candidate for our brand new dual doctoral degree program. You are the perfect person. You should do it. And I was like, oh, really? Cool. All right. I have no <laughs> idea what I was getting myself into. Oh, if my anybody word. is listening, I will just tell you that I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I, so that's not fair. Let me, let me, let me be more clear. <laughs> I did two doctorate degrees and a postmaster certificate all while working in three and a half years. I do not My recommend life. that. So do, do, do what you will. Give yourself time. Pace yourself. I didn't. I was, I, I didn't, but I was unhappy in the process and I figured the faster I get through it, the sooner my unhappiness ends. And so I was motivated, but I suppose, I suppose in retrospect, like now that I'm older in retrospect, if I paced myself mm-hmm. and like, like a normal person, um, I probably would have been less unhappy. And so I wouldn't have needed to like, try to get through it so quickly. But anyway, that, that it is what it is. But so yeah, I did all of that in three and a half years. So I don't recommend that for anybody. Let, let me ask you a question. Do you, does that happen because of, you know, starting from childhood, that, that level, that meaning like you have to be a certain, um, you have to have a certain level of success uh, that that carried on to you as, as while you were working as a nurse practitioner and doing all these degrees, or is it, or was it also, uh, I, I guess, a sense of um, of of a necessity for you even as you grew up yourself, or did that come from something? Um, I don't know that I have an answer for that right now. I know that I know. I mean. I, education was not an option. It was never, it was never like the idea that I, it it never occurred to me that I could just not go to school. That was not an option. My my personal household. So I always knew that I was going to go to school. And I think that, um, I, I, I progressed through school quickly because in my mind, um, it was going to be harder if I stopped and had to restart. So I was just like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in school mode. Let me just get it done while Let's I'm get, here. Right. And, okay. and and I will say that I don't regret that necessarily. Like I, I will say that I am grateful. What I know for sure is that I, I won't say that I regret my degrees. I know that if I had to do that now, I would not do it. So right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and do any of what I did right now. 
So I'm, I'm grateful that it's something that is done and completed and that's something that I need to be thinking about for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it just, it just wasn't, there was, there was never like, and I I don't think that anybody, I don't think any of us could have ever dreamed that I was going to end up with all of these degrees. Um, I thought, I personally thought that I was going to stop um, with my master's degree actually was my original intention. And then I kind of got swept up into, why don't you do this too? Um, and so I, I mean, it is, it is what it is. I, they say that when you get, um, a PhD, it takes five years after graduating for you to feel like it was worth it. And I will tell you, I'm here to tell you that it took the entire full five years for me to not feel like it was a waste (laughs) of my life. (laughs) So all all five of those years. So for anybody else out there experiencing the, those emotions Mm -hmm. negative as they may be, um, I am here to tell you that whoever it was that figured out it took five years was right as at least for me. Right. Well, I mean, you went through it though, and and, and the thing is, even though it's something that you may say right now, hey, I wouldn't have done it before. You still did that journey. That is a part of your life. It's on your record. That is, you know, that that's a part of 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 Monique, right? So, how did how do you feel like that whole experience helped build your character? And, and help you to kind of see a little bit more of that enlightened understanding of, of life now? Um, one of the biggest contributions was failing, failure, was mm. my, the biggest contributions to who I am right now. So um, I think that you look at a resume and you see the completion. Yes. You don't really see the journey through mm. there. And I have failed along the way. I've had a lot of missteps along the way. And I think that the biggest contribution to who I am right now is that, um, and this is a full credit to my parents a hundred percent because yeah. I wanted to drop out every step of the way, mm. but at any, whenever I did like hit a bump in the road or have a failure of some sort, um, my parents were there to be my motivating force to keep moving forward. And I think that, um, it takes a solid couple failures, but once you figure out that you aren't going to die, like it is okay. Like mm-hmm. you are going to be okay on the other end. I feel like my failures have taught me more than anything else. I think I have learned how to fail with grace and I have mm-hmm. learned how to figure how to learn from that and figure it out. Like to use that as a um, stepping stone to move forward. So now when it comes to making big choices and taking huge risks, if I fail, whatever like right. like making the decision to take a 60 percent pay cut is a huge that's, risk and i was not risk, afraid yeah. you know what mm. i mean i was able to do that because i mean i don't know worse things i have i've failed before and if this ends up being a failure then I, i'll course correct it'll be fine so i would say that that has been right the biggest contribution and it's interesting because i feel like um people put so much effort into avoiding failure or avoiding mm. the discomfort or avoiding the pain associated with failure and but i think that when you speak to people who are like uber successful so like the deans of universe like so anyway that's my paradigm for super yeah. successful right now it, they say the same thing it's like me having you know been rejected or you know not gotten the grant that i applied for like all of that is what makes you better and like ends up getting you to the point of success in the end so what do you think was your biggest failure oh god 
failure. <laughs> um, my biggest, I don't even know. I don't even know. I would say. Or, or honestly, let's say this. Say what, I, what was the one that, oh, go ahead. I would say though, I think that my biggest failure was in self-care. Like I, um, when I was oh, okay. doing my master's degree specifically, I was working full time and going to school full time. So when, by the time I got to my doctorate program, I was working, but I was I only worked part time through mm-hmm. my doctorate programs. But when I, when I was doing my master's degree, I was working I was working forty hours a week, um, wow. and going to school full time. And um, wow, and I what what that ended up looking like. I would work in the hospital twelve hour shifts, so I would work overnight. Um, get off of work at 7.30 in the morning and drive to the university and sleep in my car for an hour or an hour and a half before I had to go to class for eight hours. And so what 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 that ended up looking like for me was that I would be awake chronic, like co- chronically. I was chronically mm-hmm. going 36, 48 hours without sleep at a time. Um, and what that ended up happening, what that ended up looking like for me was um, I started making decisions between whether to eat and whether to sleep. Because in my oh. mind, like my rationale was I can eat anywhere at any time, but I can only sleep here right now. And so mm. that uh, that translated to me not being incredibly undernourished. I was under 100 pounds at one point. Oh, wow. And um, and I ended up passing out at work, which was really humiliating. Just so you know, mm. and um, and but but it was it was that moment, that moment, like getting to the point where I'm passing out at work because I haven't consumed calories in a week because I haven't been sleeping and because like I can't right. stop like that. Um, got me to the point where I I I started going to counseling. I mm. um, started learning like why am I doing this to myself like why why am I working full-time and going to school full-time like why am I do like what is playing into these decisions and that started me on the path towards resolving some of my own trauma history and Mm -hmm. working through my own stuff and and that is why I am able to be where I am right now like I say it's a lifelong journey I'm not resolved but um that that I would say my biggest failure and also the biggest um contributor to my ultimate success in life that's so i mean and you could tell me if i'm wrong with this but i feel like your your experience is is very inspiring in this in this sense right so you you've done so much i mean if someone like you said from the outside looking in they're like wow monique you know dr monique balthazar she is amazing she's done this she has all these degrees she has all these certifications look where they're they're trying to get her to this next level they're trying to uh allow her to be this this even greater than where she's at right now but you said something at the end of of what we you just said you said you're at a level of success now you so basically what you're saying is as as the time has gone through you're looking at your whole experience and you're saying that you feel more successful now in this position where you are than you did uh, before. And I think that that is so amazing for us to to understand. 
and to and to realize for for ourselves because if you don't care about your if you don't take care of yourself and you're not growing within is that really truly success no matter what degrees you have no matter what accomplishment accomplishments you've made in the outside world if you are not being well taken care of because of the lack of of your own self-care so i think that's very beautiful that it's um that this is the way in which you think because i i know and i know right now that's gonna this is gonna hit a lot of listeners and it's gonna hit a lot of people because um you know too many of us and myself included for for quite some time have has has fallen into the trap that in order for me to feel successful others have to think that i am successful too and and that could be a trap that will that'll put us into a black hole and destroy us so I just find it very beautiful that you think that the success that you find now is greater than any success that you found in the past. It's it's um, great. Un- unquestioningly, I would say being able to. Um, I'm 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 hesitating a little bit because it's like I'm try- I want to to explain myself using the right language because I think that there mm-hmm. are a lot of words that we use that might trigger some people like for example the idea of being selfish can be really triggering to those of us who grew up in really conservative church situations where being selfish is like yeah a cardinal sin right but the reality (laughs) was that i am there so i spent i was in school for 11 years total and i spent Mm -hmm. all of that time being what other people defined as successful. And I came Mm -hmm. out of that miserable. And what it is, is everybody else was proud and happy. I will tell you, my parents could not be more proud if you tried to make Mm. them. They just like proud and happy and like just all of that stuff. And I, at the end of the day, I am the only person in the whole world who has to wake up every single day and be me. I'm the only one who has to wake up and live in my body. I'm the only one who has to deal with my thoughts and my feelings. Like it's, it's me. And so living my life to meet other people's standards, I understand the need for those standards. And I, and I'm not going to sit here and and pretend um, that I didn't, I'm not in a a really good position. I am, I, I am in a really great place. And I, I, honor and respect and I'm so grateful for the privilege of having been able to earn the education that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that success, while it's success, wasn't I wasn't living a I was not joyful about it. Mm-hmm. But now um you know I still so even though my fellowship is over and I'm an assistant professor now, I'm still not earning even close to what I was earning as an nurse practitioner. Right, so right. if that is if that is what your definition of success is, then I'm not successful anymore, right? Mm. But I am so much happier now. I am so much happier. I am fulfilled by the work that I'm doing. Um, I love the re- research that I do. Like I am, I am happier. And at the end of the day, I think that um, the resume is it stands for itself. It's there, um, and and everybody can you know, have their feelings about it. But like, what's more important to me is that when I wake up and I, in the morning and I'm dealing with myself, like my sense of self Mm -hmm. and and my own feelings about myself, those are positive emotions and positive thoughts now, whereas before it wasn't. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so much happier now. But, but Monique, is that really selfish? 
Cause I mean, I, like some people, I yeah, they might say that it's selfish, but that that's not being selfish to at least in my position. I think that that confidence, that strength within, is what allows for you to to be a better person, and the only way for you to actually really help others. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't pour into other people, right? So I don't know if it's it's not even selfish. And I know some people would say, oh well, they're taking care too much about themselves and everything of the sort. But it's I I think it's a necessity. And yeah, I think, I think I agree with you that it's a necessity, but it, and, and I think that, you know, that it, that it does fly. uh, It does. It it is contrary to what we're taught. We're taught to put others before ourselves. We're, We're taught to consider the needs of others before ourselves. True. I think, and and I and I did that for a really really long time, and it's not sustainable. It's just I'm not. I am a better giver now that I'm okay because I took care of me first, and then have whatever is left in me Thank for you. other people. Thank so like you. The, but the, but the thing is, there's a lot of conditioning that you put others before yourself. True. Um, and it's just not. It, it it wasn't sustainable for me. I wasn't. I wasn't a happy person. I'm a much happier person now. I work harder. I make less money, and I'm happier. That is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what you said though is real. Like you're a better giver because you've taken care of yourself. Imagine you don't pour back, you don't take care of yourself in any way, shape, or form. You're not pouring back into you. You're not taking care of your mind. You're not taking in your body. You could give all you want, but at some point, there's not going to be enough to give. So that- well, and I think we all know people who are like that. We all know absolutely, people absolutely, who are in that position. And I don't want to. I don't want to be that way. And if that means that sometimes people are going to be disappointed in the decisions that I have to mm. make, I'm going to trust you as an adult to manage that disappointment. Like you're going to be like we all get disappointed. We all have feelings, and it's like I can't this this idea that somehow I can shelter every person I interact with from feeling disappointment from me. Right. Um. It's not even like, but why? Why? It's it's almost condescending <laughs> for me to feel like I have to make sure that you don't experience a negative emotion regarding wow. me at all. Like you can, wow. you can take care of yourself. Like, and I think in being able to step back and realize like how egocentric that is in a way to think that like I am the hero to make sure that nobody ever feels sad. It's 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 almost it's almost akin to the same idea where we try to shelter people from failure yet everybody who fails is just like, you know what, getting through that is the best thing that ever happened to me. Like mm-hmm. there's this, it's that same sort of idea where it's like, I just need to let you, you know, you can be right. angry at me for a little while and we'll all come back from that. Well, okay. Well, you know, my, versus like me being burnt out and a miserable human being that nobody wants to be around. Like that's right. not, you know, we can figure it out. We'll be fine. And so let me ask you a question, and this might go back to a little bit more of, of your experiences before, but, you know, you are a black woman. Um, mm-hmm. You are in that in that uh, high tier type of type of field. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and you've been in that high academia environment. Um, but but I know that sometimes it could be a little bit unwelcoming. It could be unfair and equitable for people in general. So how were you able to to overcome that, uh, you know, as a black woman, um, in, or just as a woman in general, being able to deal and go over that obstacle. Um, so that is also something that's not past tense. That's something that's ongoing. 
That's what I'm going to okay. navigate that. Um, one of the things that has been life altering for me, so I'm in Atlanta and um, coming to Atlanta was the first time that I was in these rooms with these academics um, and I was not the only, if not like one of a few black or brown people in the room. So being in Atlanta and being an, an academic in Atlanta has been, it gave me something I didn't even know I needed to not be the only black person in the room anymore. So that is helpful um, because there is a level of gaslighting that happens where you are, that they'll say things like, you speak so well, oh my gosh, mm. you know, like that oh, sort of, like, right. like these microaggressions mm-hmm. and then, and and then um, you're gaslighted into believing that you're overreacting or you're being crazy and they didn't mean it that way and you're being overly sensitive, but being able to have a community of other academics who are also black women and they're, they're black men as well. But like, just to be able to be like, okay, you saw that too. You heard that too. It's not just me. Like even that, even that little bit is helpful. Right. Um, And then also I have been, I think in particular with George Floyd and even a little bit more before that, I have been really intentional about my research and making sure that I'm not reinforcing white supremacist ideology and like Mm -hmm. negative stereotypes about um, minority populations in the work that I personally do. Mm -hmm. And also have been intentional about calling that out. So when people make statements and like, that is a whole different conversation for our podcast, but (laughs) just, just like, when people make there's this there's a misconception um that's fairly well believed mm-hmm. uh, that there are biological difference between differences between the races and that's not true that's not founded in in reality this science has disproved this decades yep. and decades ago um but the conversations continue to be like well for example um, black people get Alzheimer's more. Black people are more prone to Alzheimer's. And it's like, well, is it that black people are more prone to Alzheimer's or people who have generational trauma that are more prone? Because the mm. color of your skin should not be indicating anything. And so, like, um, I have been, so that's just one example. I could sit here and, like, go yeah. hours and do more. But just one example of um, the sort of the way that we're speaking about health and, like, health disparities that perpetuates white supremacist ideology because all of that stuff started with um anyway like justifying the slave trade and all of that so like all of these race categories like all come go back to that and we're reinforcing that continually even in the way that we we do our research and the way that we speak about health issues and stuff like that so i've been really really intentional about calling that out and trying to help people unlearn that and reframe things in a more appropriate way um and that was some that is also something that i have um that's new, a newer, I've only more recently given myself permission to be louder about those things because it was always a lot more comfortable to fade into the background and to just not be seen and not be heard and like whatever. Um, But I have been holding myself accountable for, um, for not 
for allowing for contributing right? right because if i'm not stopping it then i'm playing into there it so go. i I'm so i have up. been more intentional about that but and and all of it is um a work in progress all of it is in, incredibly draining mm-hmm. but um being in a city where there are i am i i don't feel uh isolated like it, i just didn't know how much i needed to not be the only yeah it was that's so what, important so and so that that has been helpful, but it's definitely. Uh, I mean, I walk into a room and they think I'm an undergrad. Like I frequently get asked if I'm a bachelor student. Mercy. Like, I I get that I look younger than I am, and I yeah. also know that I don't look like I'm 19. So they don't. Um, I I I rec- it takes a while for people to take me as seriously as I should be mm. taken when I am, you know, presenting research or doing lectures and stuff because they see. I think it's like they they see somebody who looks younger. They see a black woman. And they don't respect and, it. And, and they expect something different than what they're getting. So mm. when I walked into a job interview mm-hmm. um, for an academic position, so uh, I was interviewing to be an assistant professor. Uh, no, repeatedly, people were just like, I didn't think you were black. Like, I'm so shocked that you're a black woman. <laughs> Your resume doesn't sound like a black person. Oh, my goodness. That stuff exists. Jeez, man. But so right now, like, how did you, how did you, I mean, how did you feel even, even having to deal with that? Like at that very moment, cause I don't know, I would have reacted a different way, but, or, or a certain way, cause I don't know how you reacted. So like, what was it? How, what was the. I, I just laughed it off. I mean, I got it, it a lot yeah. throughout the day. I got it a lot throughout the day. So with academic interviews, uh, my interview was. From, I was there from 8 a.m. to like 6 or 7 p.m. It's like a whole day thing Jeez, and you're interview, okay, meeting gotcha. different people. Yeah, so yeah. it was like throughout the day, it was like this shock just kept, all the time. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I mean, I, I, I think I, I'm at this point, I, it's just, I'm, I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. I'm used to it. And so I just laugh it off. But I share that story just to make it very clear that we have not evolved very much in academia when it comes to expectations about people Both, of color right. or women of color. Um, in the academic setting and then so right now you are working on a or i don't know if you have worked on it but you're working on this this research project that's helping black people with hiv can you talk a little bit more about that yeah so my research i my research focuses on people who um live with hiv and what i'm wanting to do is my ultimate goal is to improve health outcomes for all people living with hiv Mm -hmm. but we know that um because of social conditions, not because yeah. of biological conditions, because of social conditions, right. people of color, particularly black people, tend to um, are, are are more tend to die from HIV or from AIDS um, at a at a, a faster rate. So, oh, okay. um, and just for those for those who don't know, um, are the medications that we have now for HIV can can have have people living um a normal lifespan for their country like they can they can live mm-hmm. a normal life as long as they can stay on their medications mm-hmm. um but re- in in communities that are are poor in resources um which is where you're more likely to see large groups of black and brown people individuals are not getting tested and are not getting treated appropriately and so they're they wow. are more likely to die from from HIV AIDS. So from AIDS, but so anyway, um, I, so I'm choosing to do my research among black people because 
I, I already know that um, we anticipate worse outcomes because of their social conditions. Mm-hmm. So, um, but one of the things that is a major con- confounder or a major uh, player in poor health outcomes for people living with HIV across the board mm-hmm. is um, poor sleep. So sleep is like actually really, really important. And um, it hel- it's, it's a space to help to heal and regenerate. And um, people who live with HIV do not sleep well. And that mm. exacerbates the disease process. And um, then having having the deep disease exacerbated also worsens their sleep. Worsen, so it's right, like, right. It's a cycle. It's just, yeah, uh, uh, this cycle, yes. Um, and so what I, what my research is focused on is understanding, I want to understand what the role is of metabolism and immune function and sleep health for these individuals. Um, so ideally what that would translate to is if, uh, there is a, if there's some sort of, I, in theory, I would identify like maybe there is a uh, a, a mineral or, or something that we could supplement in these individuals that would help improve their sleep and thereby improve their overall health outcomes in the long run. So, but I need, I'm trying to figure out like where we know that um, not sleeping well affects affects both metabolism and immune function. We just don't really know exactly what's going on. And so that's what my right. research is focused on. So this could really revolutionize um, the way that that we see HIV or AIDS patients and and their lifestyle as well. Like this could really be a game breaker, right? Or a game changer. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I so all of, all all of us researchers think that we're going to change the world. So that's, hey, that's got to right. <laughs> you got to. <laughs> that's the plan, and and we'll see what happens. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what I'm able to identify, and um, I have some data that I'm working on analyzing now. So hopefully, I'll you know have a direction to head in. Um, but if, if there is, um, so there isn't a blood test that tells you if you're sleeping well or not, but if there was, if we could identify what we call a biomarker. So for example, with diabetes, we can test your blood and it will tell us this is what's going on with your diabetes. So if there was a, if there was a blood test that we could do that say, this is what's going on. Like, this is what's happening with your sleep health. That would be a really, really good place to start. So that's kind of where I'm starting trying to identify like, what is that blood test that we could do or that what's that, you know, marker that could indicate something's going on with your sleep and we need to address it in some way. That's awesome. I'm hoping for continued success in that. And, and, you know, we'll probably see a name sometime with that. Cause that's going to be amazing. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen. Cause yeah, uh, well, you're, I- I'll definitely keep you posted if that does happen. No, for sure, for sure. I, I do want to continue on with this as this part of the segment though, because I think this is this is very important to who you are right now, right? Um a lot of Christians they'll say yoga is bad. Run away from yoga. Yoga is of the devil. So can, so why why is it now that you know a lot of people are coming into it, but you took that journey into into yoga into fitness and everything of the sort what once again we know that it it was a lot of the circumstances in your life that kind of brought you there but now what is it that 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 really made sure that you that you wanted to get this and 
how is it benefiting you now? So I um, got into, honestly, I was the truth. Mm -hmm. I was doing CrossFit and I was like, I don't want to be big and bulky. Like, you know, some of the really big and bulky CrossFit girls. And yeah, so yeah. I felt like doing yoga was going to balance that out. Like literally that was the extent of it. I was like, yeah. I'll get some stretching in. It'll balance that out. Yeah. But um, I, so I went to yoga because I wanted to balance out the lifting that I was doing mm -hmm. um, with a different sort of exercise. Um, then when I got to yoga, um, it was the first time that I ever, I mean, it was like so, as simple as just listen to your breathing or how does your body feel? Do you need to adjust? Like pay attention to that. I had never mm. ever been counseled to like listen to myself, never been advised mm. to care what my body feels about because I'm supposed to be caring for everybody else. Mm. Um, and so it was the first time that I ever stopped and like heard myself at all. Like, Mm. what are my feelings what are my needs what are like the idea of no just stop and, and and ask your body what you need right now and like give that to yourself was revolutionary and so um i i i, I did in the past and continue to get a lot of feedback about um the inappropriateness of me doing yoga um mm. there are a lot of strong feelings about it and i really especially in the beginning was just like you know what i am better now because of this practice that i'm doing and when it stops working or when like i just it it i just was like you know what at this point in my life journey i just it, it's it's not a conflict for me so if mm. if my convictions change i'll change that but it was so healing for me to just be still and breathe for a couple of minutes. Right. Um, that it was like, I wasn't, I wasn't even receptive to hearing what anybody had to say about it, but mm. I do, I still, and I continue to get, I get a lot of feedback about that. I don't know. Right. What are your personal thoughts about yoga? So, I mean, I could, I could be wrong in this, man. I know some people have multiple views or whatever the case may be, but um, I mean, I used to try to look up, you know, stretches and stuff like that on on YouTube. And I saw yoga stretches. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do some yoga stretches. Like, and, and, and they actually worked, right? Um, there are some philosophies in yoga that I don't agree with, but we're, we're, I, I don't know for me as a, as for, for the physical concepts of it, I, I definitely think it's, there's no issue with that in any way, shape or form. Um, I, I don't, and to, to be honest, the other thing too, I don't know enough about what they go into when it comes into their philosophies or how they they want you to think or whatever the case may be. So I, I don't even have much of an opinion because I haven't done my research enough about it. Many people like to talk about something that they don't even know about. So I'd rather uh, do more research and, and hear more about it. But one thing I can say for sure, though, is that ever since you've been on this journey of yoga, it seems like, I mean, just, just your overall aura just feels like things are, are doing greater for you. you feel, it looks, uh, even from your Instagram pictures, your Facebook and everything of the sort, because, you know, I haven't seen you in a long time, but being able to see even the way that you present yourself or post about just it just feels more freeing in a sense. Am I, am I off or, yeah? No, no, no okay. 100%. I, so what I did, so I have two separate Instagrams now. So mm -hmm. I, um, 
came to this place where I was just like, I wanted to start documenting my my journey in yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I got a lot. That was when there was a lot of people had a really strong feelings about that. Mm. And so I created a second Instagram where those people don't need to be. Right. And, and that's where I post. And now I actually post on that page more than I, I do the original. Yeah, original. Have, but, right. Um, Passion, right? Yeah, it's just, but it's like for me, and and there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into that. I know that when I first started yoga, I wanted to see myself represented and I couldn't really find a a lot of even brown people, much less black people doing yoga. Like I could not find that on Instagram. And so for me, it feels like there is a gap. And I feel like if, if it's something that I desired, there may be other people who desire that too. And I'm not the world's best yogi and I'm not, I can't fold myself in half and do all of these things that some of the other people can do, but I can represent, I can be a little representative and help to fill that gap just a little bit of like, there are others of us doing it. And hopefully that makes you feel like um, it is something accessible to you as well. I don't like whatever. Right. But for me, it has been a healing process. I will say that I didn't really learn very much about the philosophy, like the religion behind yoga until I did yoga teacher training. Um, it's extensive. There's a lot, there's a lot there. I appreciate, and I'm not going to pretend that I am a scholar. I have some basic foundational understanding of Hinduism and like the, what yoga is and how it started and how we got to where we are now. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, I just, I, I respect it for what it is in the same way that I respect Greek mythology for what it is. And like, it, it just, it's, that is what it is. Um, I am happy to work with what works for me and to get rid of what doesn't work for me. And to be fair, there's a lot of that that happens for me in Christianity as well. Like, ah, doesn't really work for me. Hmm. Those, those ideas, like for example, um, this idea that it is better for me to prioritize everybody else's needs over mine, that doesn't work for me. Um, and so there are, there are things I, I, and, um, I'm sure that, a lot of people are going to have strong feelings about me saying this, but like, there are just, um, there are a lot of different philosophies in the world and some things work for me and some things don't. And right now the physical practice of yoga takes me very far. I don't, um, I, I appreciate the teachings around meditation and deep breathing because I Mm -hmm. I find really calming. I tend, I can be really anxious sometimes. And so taking a couple of minutes to just like stop and breathe really does a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not worshiping Hindu gods. So yeah. I'm not like, like, there's like, I'm not, there's like, you know, I, I'm taking what works for me and I'm right. discarding what doesn't. I, right. I, I don't know. Let, let me, let me ask you a question. The people who, who hurt you the most or the place where you found the most hurt was actually found in Christianity. So, yeah. well, so I wrote that, like, first of all, that was written in like, 2009 and just has not changed but so to to be fair to be fair but i can i can explain i can i so i can talk about that Mm -hmm. um in a probably a a more like mature way now yeah um yeah yeah, so the people who have hurt me the most in life have been christians and that's true and most of the people i know in life are christians so that's that's like to be to be more mature about that but yeah yeah, i've had i've had horrible experiences um Mm -hmm. i have um, so we know about um and, and real quick of, th- real quick Monique, remember people who are listening, this is just real talk, real conversations 
look, I'm a pastor in the Christian church, but I'm okay having these type of conversations because we need it. We need to be able to hear sometimes the hard truths, right? So just before anyone's like, oh man, where's this going? No, you got to be able to listen and you got to be able to understand people's point of view. So thank you very much. Continue. Yeah. But so, and, and again, I'm going to preface this by saying that, you know, I made that statement. I was young um, when I posted that, like, I I think it's somewhere on my like profile on Facebook or something. And I remember putting that up in a moment, in a time when I was really, really struggling. Mm. Um, And as you know, uh, a a more mature adult now, Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I don't really hang out with a lot of people from other, like my world, the bulk of my world has been people who are, Christian or Christian adjacent. So it's going to yeah. be really hard for me to have horrible experiences with people otherwise. Like I just, just so anyway, just, just to be fair, but um, with all of the scandal that recently happened in the Adventist church and all the yeah. accusations, accusations of uh, sexual impropriety and all of that stuff, like none of that is shocking to me because I no. grew up in the church and yeah. there I have been, have been inappropriate with me since I was, very young in the church Mm. and i know that i'm not the only i know that that is not a unique story to me i know that's not a unique story to the girl who came forward um and i anticipate more stories to to come out of that like there are Mm. ways in which um and 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 i might go so far as to say that this might be more of an issue of organized religion versus an issue of christianity specifically Mm. and i say that also recognizing that I'm, I have a limited perspective because I was raised in a very specific way. But um, there, when there are these uh, power, these systems of power put in place, mm-hmm. it really does make it difficult. It, it creates an avenue for abuse and it makes it difficult for, it makes it really, really challenging to, to get your needs met sometimes or to, to be advocated for, um, and so, yeah, I've definitely, I've had those experiences. Um, I don't think it is going to benefit anybody for me to go into any detail, but, yeah, I, w- but I will, I will say though, that I've had, um, I was, I was unsurprised by yeah. the, the accusations of impropriety that came. I was not even remotely shocked by any of it. So, and I, I yeah, I'm sure like as a pastor, I- yeah, I, I've seen too much. I mean, I was a PK too. So, I mean, that was, I am. So, you know, I've seen, I've heard and I've seen too much to be shocked now. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that the, sh- the way there is a power dynamic that's built in to the structure of our church that makes it really hard um, yeah. and, and really make, well, makes it easier for these things to be able to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so from the outside looking in, it feels like in a lot of other organized religions, it, that same structure exists. Mm-hmm. When you're a pastor of a church and you have this clout and this trust and and then also the uh, Christian church puts a lot of emphasis on women keeping men from lusting versus men exercising self-control. And so that also perpetuates this sort of dynamic because the problem is like, what were you doing? What were you wearing? Where, where did you go? Who were you talking to? Why is that and the first never, question? That's crazy. Every time. Every time. So I will, I have been on the receiving end of that, um, those sorts of questions more than one time. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's, the system is really not, 
the system is designed for predators to prevail, to thrive. Yeah, fair That's enough. really what it is. But, you know, Monique, I must say, you know, you've gone through so much uh, in your life, uh, both good and bad, but but you've found a way to find yourself. You found a way to, to love yourself at a, at a very high level. And um, as you said, right, it's not, you're not at this, um, you're not recovered, but you're recovering. And, and it's a process and it's something that, that you're going to continuously be growing in and learning and, and making sure that you become at the octopal uh, sense of who you are. But, um, you know, for our listeners, as we're, as we're closing off this episode, for our listeners, what do you want to leave us with from your experience, most importantly? I would say two things. One is embrace your failure. Embrace mm-hmm. it. Grow and learn from it. Don't run away from it. I will say personally, um, I the only when I look back, the only things I've ever regretted are the things that I didn't try. Mm-hmm. I don't have any regrets about the things that I did do and didn't do well at. I just, I, you know, those what ifs never go away. You get over everything else. Um, And the other thing that I would leave you with, that I would like to leave the listeners with, is just permission to prioritize yourself. Permission to, permission to disappoint a couple people and to upset a couple people and permission to do what you need to do in order to be whole and full and um, so that you are pouring from a full cup versus an empty one. I think these are these are valuable lessons and um and but it comes from someone who has taken the the extensive route into academia uh and has realized that you know you have to first love yourself before you can even love someone else and so I think this comes from a very uh in my opinion a very resourceful uh and and uh great mind for us to be able to learn from and, and to gain this value from this inspiration. So Monique, I really want to say thank you so much for taking the time to, to uh, tell us your story, to show us your failures, your successes. Um, but most importantly, I must say, I'm just really happy uh, that you are at the place where you are today. And and it seems as though God is, is blessing you, but you are also happy. And I, And I think many people um, I think many people, many listeners uh, are going to be able to take a lot from this uh, and to try to apply for their own personal lives here. So just want to say thank you again, Monique. You're great. You're amazing. Oh, I hope to see you again. It's been a long time. So, um, but, but yeah, thank you again. And we really hope to possibly even have you on a, on a podcast another time talking about another thing because you're great. Yeah. You're great that. with us here today. So definitely looking forward to the next one for sure. Okay. That sounds awesome. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Madcasters. Please leave a positive review if you like today's episode wherever you're listening. Be sure to follow us at Madcasters on Instagram, Madcasters on Facebook, and www.madcasters.com where you can sign up to our email listing. You'll be able to get updates, surveys, and many more surprises. You will also be able to access shows, blogs, book reviews, and spotlight organizations. So if you enjoyed what you heard on their episode, you can support their mission and their cause. If you would like to support Madcasters even more to fulfill our mission and vision, 
please go to Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Madcasters. I'll be giving out a free book monthly to Patreon supporters, and there are many more surprises and special perks for Patreon supporters only. This is the end of our episode, but trust me, this is not the last. I don't know about you, but I am having a blast. But don't forget, Madcasters, this is the launch pad for you to go mad.